0: It was a lousy performance from Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, but the Gunners remain unbeaten. Coming back from 2-0 down to earn a draw at Stamford Bridge. There are more questions regarding the decision to replace Aaron Ramsdale with David Raya. Alexander Zinchenko was hooked at halftime. Erdegaard unable to affect the game. There's so much to unpack after this one. Let's do just that on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of a Guna podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Mixed emotion, I think, is the only way to describe the way I'm feeling after that performance. After that result, I'm more pleased with the result than I am the performance, obviously, because it just wasn't good enough. We're going to get into all of that. Do questions need to be asked of some of Mikel Arteta's decisions? I think they do. And we're going to get into that on this edition of the show. Uh, before we dive into it, leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel as well. If your brand's spanking new. I want to hear from you guys throughout this episode because I know people will have strong opinions off the back of what we saw yesterday evening um you know it was it's a weird one because i I was saying to some of you guys in the live chat before we started when it got to about 60 65 minutes i just slouched back in my chair and looked at the pitch in front of me and thought we're not getting anything out of this we deserve absolutely nothing out of this and i started to make peace with the idea of us going home completely empty-handed Um, with myself and then Arsenal pop up with a couple of goals and all of a sudden Arsenal are back on level terms and I found myself deep in stoppage time willing Arsenal forward thinking we can win this and so for all the negatives that come with a performance like that and for all the negatives that you know cloud your mind at, at those points in a season there was a part of me that thought hold on a minute we could go on and win this And that comes from Arsenal being much improved over the last, what, year and a half? The belief that Arsenal could go on and win it at that point, having stunk the place out for so long, comes from the fact that we have improved. And sometimes you kind of need to detach yourself from the situation to remember that. And so whilst I think the performance was bad, and I think there are a lot of questions uh, with regards to some of Mikel Arteta's decisions, and we're going to get into all of that. This is not going to be... You know, me sitting here making excuses for Arsenal, I thought that that was as bad as we've played in the past year and a half. Were there reasons for that? Do we have to give Chelsea some credit? I think we do have to give Chelsea some credit. But I was sort of on the district line yesterday going back to towards Victoria so that I could get the train home after the game. And obviously the train was packed with predominantly Chelsea fans. And the way they were talking about their performance was as if they played like prime Barcelona. And the truth of the matter is, they were only in front because of a penalty award. They didn't create too much outside of that. And their second goal was almost certainly, despite what Mikhailo Mudrik says, a cross that ended up in the back of the net. So I think that, yes, we can talk about you know, Arsenal not being at it and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, Chelsea are going to get praise for, you know, being in charge of the game um, for long periods. But they were ultimately in charge of the game because the referee gave him a spot kick. And then just when you thought that Arsenal was starting to click a little bit at the start of the second half, first five, 10 minutes, Mihailo Mudrik pops up with that goal, which he clearly doesn't mean. And all of a sudden, That's the wind taken out of Arsenal's sails. And the fact that that goal seemed to be such a big kick in the stomach for us, you know, it kind of makes sense because then you look at the impact that Robert Sanchez's mistake had in terms of letting Arsenal back into the game of football and how the pendulum swung for a bit then. And all of a sudden you can see what a big difference, you know, mistakes can make in games of that size and with games um involving um you know clubs that want to be competing at the top end of the premier league but anyway we're going to work through it methodically like we always do we're going to talk about the team selection we're going to discuss the key events and key moments in the game we're going to pick out some individuals who i think performances need singling out need to be discussed uh we're going to talk about some of the decisions that Mikel arteta did or didn't make Uh, and share some views and thoughts on those. And of course, as always, I want you guys to be involved throughout via the live chat box. And I'm going to take some of your questions towards the back end of the show. Remember, if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna on YouTube, uh, because we are closing in on a milestone number. And we'd love to get there sooner rather than later. If you are a listener via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, any of the usual places, please do um, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, because there is content from time to time that we do release on YouTube that doesn't go out in audio format. And just to give you a quick teaser as to what's coming up uh, this week, I'm going to be out in Seville from tomorrow night right through until Wednesday night. So your uh, Sevilla versus Arsenal um, reaction show will come from the city of Seville, Um, the preview will be done in London before I go, but I'm going to bring you guys uh, a a bit of extra content, if I can, internet connection permitting, uh, from the beautiful Spanish city as well. So uh, make sure you stay tuned and uh, make sure you've got your notifications turned on. Okay, let's start, I think, by discussing Mikel Arteta's team selection. So, you know, after an international break, it's fair to say that you never really quite know what you're going to get. OK, your players return, you know, some of them are fit, some of them are not. Some of them have been exposed to more minutes than you'd like. Um, others have picked up niggles. In our case, I thought the international break, despite the fact we beat Manchester City just before it probably came at the right time because of the number of players that we had who were nursing minor injuries. And if you can get a little bit of a break for them and you can give them That opportunity to recover, then that can make uh, a lot of difference in a positive way. And and that very much was the case. You know, Leandro Trossard, who ultimately went on to have a big say in the way the game finished, um, he, of course, was um, absent from the Belgian squad because of an injury uh, that he had picked up and that gave him time to recover. Bukayo Saka was unavailable for England, of course, because um, he was struggling with that hamstring problem, which kept him out of the Manchester City game. He got the opportunity to work himself back to fitness. And there he was in the starting lineup. So let's run through that starting lineup. It was David Ryer in goal, as we expected. Aaron Ramsdale, of course, unavailable due to his wife giving birth. Congratulations to the Ramsdales uh, on the birth of their son. Um, that's fantastic news. And I can tell you firsthand that it does take it out of you physically, mentally, all the rest of it. Um, So Aaron Ramsdale could probably do with um, having some time off there. But what I would say is this, and this is just an opinion, right? I don't know this, but I'm interested to know what you guys think. Please do let me know in the chat. Do we think that Aaron Ramsdale would have missed the game, would have skipped the game? Not skipped the game because he was obviously given permission by the club to do so. But do we think that Aaron Ramsdale would have been present had he still been the clear number one at Arsenal? Let's just say over the past few weeks, he'd been fighting and he'd won his place back. Do you think he would have risked losing his place again by being absent, unavailable, even for something as you know amazing as this? He became a father from what we understand on Friday. So I'm just wondering, and it is just an opinion, right? It isn't anything I know. It isn't. Because I've read it and it's a rumour that's going around or anything like that. I just wonder if, had circumstances at Arsenal been different with regards to Aaron Ramsdale and his number one position, if he'd have missed the game. Interesting. Have a little think about that. Um, So it was Ryring goal, it was White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back line. And then it was Odegaard, Jorginho and Rice, the same midfield that played when we beat Manchester City last week. Surprised that Thomas Partey didn't come into the side? Um, Jorginho getting the nod ahead of him. The only thing I can think of here, well, there's two things I can think of. So either Arsenal are still worried and concerned uh by the idea of upping Thomas Partey's workload too quickly because of how you know how frequently he seems to break down with muscular injuries. So it's either that or Mikel Arteta, you know, wanted to uphold this idea of. It being a meritocracy, if you play well, you stay in the team and all the rest of it. Because let's be honest, Jorginho did play very, very well against Manchester City. Was it a little bit arrogant from Mikel Arteta to think that he could go to Stamford Bridge and watch his team impose themselves without someone as important to the side as Thomas Partey? I don't know. There's loads of different ways, um, you know, for, for you to look at it. But that was the midfield trio, Odegaard, Jorginho and Rice. And then the front three were finally reunited. Gabriel Jesus through the middle, Martinelli from the left and Saka from the right. A front three that served us so, so well over the past uh, year or so. That line-up to me looks pretty good. And I didn't really have too many major complaints about it. I think I probably would have played Thomas Partey. He played I think 45 minutes in the first friendly during the international break. And then I think he played about 60, 64 minutes in the second one. So he certainly got minutes in the tank and he seemed to have come through that unscathed, at least we think because even yesterday when, you know, Mikel Arteta started to shuffle the pack a little bit, he didn't turn to Thomas Partey. And I know people will say, well, you know, you needed a goal and he's not the most attack minded player. I actually think he progresses the ball brilliantly from, uh, the deep positions in midfield. I think he does it better than Declan Rice. I think he does it better than Jorginho. So I wondered if he would get the nod in terms of being the one that came on, but Mikel opted to go a different way. Does that maybe tell us that there is a bit of a concern still over Thomas Partey's fitness? Did he feel something? I, I don't know. I'm just speculating here, but I think it's interesting that he didn't get a game. And the other bit of um, of interesting news is when you look at the substitutes bench as well, um, you know, you look at it there, Partey, Smith-Rowe and Ketia, Kivior, Tommy, Asu, Trossard, Nelson, Havertz and Hein, Where was Fabio Vieira? Now, I haven't heard anything about this and I don't know um, if there is anything more to it. But I hadn't heard that there is an injury to Fabio Vieira. So if anyone has read or seen or heard anything about that, please do let me know. But that was strange to me that someone who'd been in favour so much, Um, you know, in the early stages of this season is now not even seen as someone that can make the bench. You look at who he could have been on there in place of, you know, it's hard because, you know, Havertz, you've just spent £65 million on him. He's going to be in the mix. Reese Nelson is probably the only real winger that you've got on the bench. Smith Rowe is knocking on the door. Um, wants to win his place back in the side. Eddie Nketiah is somebody that Mikel Arteta seems to trust implicitly. So, yeah, difficult, difficult one. But, yeah, I'm just curious as to what the deal was with Fabio Vieira because he wasn't in the side um, at all, not even on the bench. A uh, big shout out to Tom uh, over on the Guna Talk TV. Make sure you give him a subscribe. Tom, thank you so much for tuning in, mate. Uh, make sure you subscribe subscribed and you have your notifications turned on. Uh, Tom does a show every day at 8am and it's well worth a watch. So make sure uh, you go over there and uh, check that out. I know a lot of you are already subscribed to Tom, but um, yeah, if you're not, then make sure you are. What are you waiting for? Anyway, so those were my thoughts on the team selection. And then we take it on to the start of the game. And for wanting of a better term, it was awful. It was really, really bad from Arsenal's perspective. They couldn't string five passes together. You know, passes that players like Martin Odegaard, for example, would normally execute with their eyes closed were going astray. People were taking too long on the ball. We were second to every loose ball, every second ball. We weren't sharp enough. We weren't strong enough. We weren't physical enough. We weren't responsible in possession. And we were taking stupid, unnecessary risks. There was a moment really early on in the game where Arsenal had won the ball back at left back. And I think it was Zinchenko if my memory serves me correctly, plays this passing field, which basically puts us in a whole load of danger when it was just so completely, totally unnecessary. I always think when you go away to a big side, you know, and Chelsea are that, you know, I said it in my preview show, and I know a lot of people sort of laughed at me when I sort of said, look, yeah, Chelsea have had a miserable start to the season. Yes, people are saying they've turned the corner. I know the victories had come, over Fulham and then Burnley, two sides that you'd expect them to beat with ease. But I've always said that there's too much quality in that Chelsea side. And Maurizio Pochettino is too good a coach for them not to come good at some point. Now, I said earlier on in the episode that I don't think Chelsea were amazing, and I stand by that. But they were certainly much better than they have been at various points this season. As I say, they were snapping away at our players' heels every time we got the ball. They were the first... In all the jewels, they were stronger, they were more powerful. And one of the reasons I think we're all looking back on this game and thinking, well, we really did miss Thomas Partey is because Jorginho and Odegaard really did get overrun, overpowered, closed down. They struggled, two players that are normally so calm and composed on the ball, um, whose biggest strengths are not necessarily the physical side of the game, but they just were made to look like children playing in a, in a midfield against... Conor Gallagher, who was bloody everywhere yesterday. I haven't always rated Conor Gallagher, but he was fantastic yesterday. Enzo Fernandez was pretty good too. Moises Caicedo, full of energy. We all know what he's about. And I just looked at that midfield and went, we could really do with Thomas Partey. I keep saying it, you know, the best midfield for me is Partey, Rice and Odegaard. You need that bit of strength. You need that bit of steel. But in Thomas Partey, you get that, but you also get all the technical stuff as well. And so, yeah, that kind of I think highlighted the 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 question of whether or not Thomas Partey could have could have started. But maybe, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, maybe Mikel Arteta knew exactly what type of game his team were going to face. And maybe he knew that Thomas Partey, with his current fitness level, couldn't handle that. And may have ended up picking up an injury that would sideline him again for a long period of time, which is something that Arsenal. I don't think, can afford to happen. So the start to the game, not good enough. Just not good enough. I mean, Bukayo Saka, every time he got the ball on the right-hand side, he he couldn't get past Kukurela. Just wasn't happening. I know Kukurela would cross the line from time to time with, you know, some of his challenges and and some of the -the off-the-ball stuff and and all the rest of it. But, you know, he handled Saka really, really well. On the other side, uh, Martinelli wasn't getting that much change out of Malo Gusto, who, is a far better defender, I think, having watched him yesterday. Than I gave him credit for at right fullback. You know, the only time we got forward and looked threatening was that moment where Declan Rice burst through, seemed to get caught between two minds, didn't he, as to whether or not he should be going for goal or, or playing it across the six yard box. And in the end, I think he did a bit of both and and lots and ultimately neither. So there was that moment. You know, there wasn't that much else in the first half from Arsenal from an attacking perspective. And then, of course, came the penalty award. Now, the debate around this is, is going to rage on. Uh, and the debate around this is, is I think, going to probably rumble on into the next week and, and possibly beyond that. Look, by the letter of the law, based on what we've seen given consistently this season, that is a penalty kick. Now, my issue is with the law, because I think the law is a nonsense. I don't think that William Saliba is in an unnatural position with making his body bigger in mind. I think what he's trying to do is win the header. And how can you get yourself up into the air and generate the power to head a ball if you do not have your arms up and out like that in order to sort of propel yourself? It's just a natural movement. Now, the way the law is written is stupid because any ball that is going anywhere near the goal that gets stopped by an arm on its way is now deemed worthy of looking at. And I have to say, look, I could see first time that it had come off of William Saliba's arm. I could see that Mikhailo Mudrik had got something on it and it was going towards goal. I don't even know if it was on target. You know, it probably wasn't, but it was going in that direction. And the minute I sort of saw the first replay in front of me um, on the little monitor, I was like, yeah, they're going to pull this back and they're going to give the penalty. And whilst I think it's a joke and I think it's stupid and I think the rule, the law, because whenever I call them rules, people get annoyed. The laws need reviewing and need to be clearer, in my opinion, and need to take into consideration that these things are going to happen from time to time. Do we really want to see penalties given every five minutes for this type of thing? I knew that as soon as I saw it, that they were going to pull it back. And the minute Chris Kavanagh goes over to the screen, you know what the decision is going to be. So Chelsea get their penalty. It was unlucky from Arsenal's perspective. I saw some people online slating William Saliba. I thought he was one of our better players yesterday. Don't think he could have done too much about that. Um, and, And, you know, Cole Palmer steps up and scores... Some were saying that Cole Palmer probably shouldn't have been on the pitch because of that challenge that he made on Gabby Jesus. I've seen it back. It is a bit of a nasty one. Um, It is pushing that boundary between yellow and red card. For me, it is a yellow card. I think that's the right decision, uh, just about. Um, But yeah, going back to the penalty, it is about the rules um, or the laws rather than the officials on that day. Now, we all know that the officials in this Premier League are are awful, and we know that the standard is is basically in the bin. Nobody's denying that. And the fact that we're talking about them every single week only serves to highlight that. But what I don't want to do is add to a narrative. What I don't want to do is add fuel to a fire that doesn't really need to be added. I'm not going to criticise or slate the officials for taking that decision uh, yesterday because of the laws that that they've got to abide by, because of the precedent that's been set by others before them and by the Premier League in general, the PGMOL, the Pogmol, uh, as they're referred to by some, you know, so fine, you know, they they did what they had to do ultimately in that situation, but they did also make some really bad calls on the night as well. You know, for example, the penalty that we should have clearly had in the second half when the cross came in, not only was Takahiro Tomiyasu having his shirt pulled the whole time by Thiago Silva, which is as clear as day on the replays, Robert Sanchez came flying out like Andre Onana. Clatters into people and nothing's given. Madness. Absolute madness. Um, So, yeah, there is frustration with regards to that decision. And you feel like we were just incredibly unfortunate with the penalty that we conceded. But you know what? At that point, we went in at halftime. We didn't play very well. Chelsea hadn't created an awful lot outside of that penalty kick. And I have to say, there was a part of me that was quietly confident at halftime that we would come out and perform to a better standard, to a better level. And that if we did that, we stood a great chance of turning the game around because Chelsea have vulnerabilities. They are improving under Maurizio Pochettino, but they're by no stretch of the imagination, the finished article, nor will they be in the short term, I don't think. Lots of Good players, but you know Levi Colwill had played a few silly passes out from the back and put them in trouble. Um, you know Cucurella isn't perfect. He had a good game yesterday, but generally speaking, you can get at him. Malo Gusto can often get caught too far up the pitch. Tiago Silva, as great as he is at his age, you know you you fancy yourself. Robert Sanchez is an accident waiting to happen, as we found out later on in the game. So I did feel at halftime that there was a good chance Arsenal would find their way back into it, and that the quality was there for Mikel Arteta, even from the bench, to just shuffle the pack a little bit and put us in a strong position in terms of trying to turn the game around. We'll come on to the second half in just a second. If I could just quickly remind you once again, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're new. All the rest of it will be back in just a mo. And when we return, uh, we'll turn our attention to that second half. We've got lots of individual player performances uh, to discuss as well. Uh, we'll get into all of that in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the podcast. Right, uh, start of the second half. I thought Arsenal were a bit better. I thought Arsenal were moving the ball with a little bit more zip, a little bit more tempo. Mikel Arteta made the change at the break, uh, taking off Alexander Zinchenko, whose performance we're going to come on to in a bit. Believe me, I'm not dancing around that one. Uh, We'll get into that in a lot of detail, actually, because I've got some pretty strong thoughts on that. Um, But yeah, he makes the change and instantly you know that that's going to make us defensively that bit better and uh, that bit more solid. And you're thinking, right, you know, if we can have a good start to the half, if we can pin Chelsea back, there's no reason why we can't carve them open. Martinelli probably looked like the liveliest of the Arsenal forwards at that point in the game. You know, at least he was trying to make things happen, trying to force the issue. Had a moment where he cut in from the left-hand side and got a shot off. And then comes the Madrid goal. Now, when I watched this goal back, I, I sort of, in, well, when I watched it in real time and the pass was played to Odegaard, who lost out and Chelsea break away from that, I thought, Martin, what are you doing? That's really, really poor from you. You've got to do better. And whilst I still think that, I still think that Martin Odegaard could have done more, could have potentially made a foul, um, you know, and and taken a booking for the team and all the rest of it. I, I think that the pass from Ben White is a hospital pass. It's a really bad pass from Ben White. And he seems to have escaped all criticism for this, which drives me mad because I'm all for, um, you know, highlighting errors and and, you know, Identifying errors, and you know, I'm sure the staff at the club will be even more into that and, and want to find out why things went wrong and how they can be avoided next time. But in that instance, I, I think that Ben White has got away with that, he really, really has. Because that's a hospital pass, watch it back again, and you'll see. Um, he puts Odegaard in a, a really, really awkward position, but anyway, Michaelo Mudrick breaks away down the left hand side. Um, and he looks up. I am 100% certain that he's trying to clip it in towards the far post area, and he ends up looping over the top of David Raya's head and ending up in the far corner. Steve Stone in the chat says, uh, Mudrick scoring was always going to happen. What was Raya thinking? Yeah, look, Mudric probably felt like he had a point to prove. I know he's been wound up a couple of times by Arsenal supporters on his travels, which I don't agree with. Um, you know, the guy ultimately didn't do anything, did he? He He was happy to join Arsenal. He was willing to join Arsenal. Arsenal couldn't agree a deal with Shakhtar Donetsk because Arsenal weren't willing to go as far as Chelsea were. He took the offer, moved to the Premier League, started slowly, but is getting better and better, I think. Um, And uh, yeah, he wheels away in celebration and, and sort of pretends in front of the Matthew Harding stand that, you know, he's meant that. The truth is he hasn't. Okay, he's tried to cross it in. It's gone slightly wrong in terms of the angle, the trajectory of the ball. And um, over the top it, over the top of David Rye's head, it goes. And into the far corner, it goes. David Rye has come in for a lot of criticism um, off the back of this goal. And I agree with probably 80% of it. The reason I don't agree with 100% of it is this. One of the things that Arsenal fans have been saying to try and justify... David Raya being in the side ahead of Aaron Ramsdale, is that he's very good at coming out to get crosses. That's what people keep talking about. David Raya is much better at collecting balls from high up in the air, you know, collecting the ball at its highest point. That's what goalkeepers are coached to do. And, you know, that's one of his standout qualities. Well, in order to be able to do that, you have to have a more aggressive starting position. You have to be in a certain position to be able to come out and catch the ball wherever in the box. Within reason, of course, that ball ends up and the only way you're able to do that and cover all bases is by having an aggressive starting position as a goalkeeper. Sometimes these things, if you play that way, are going to happen. And whilst I think that David Raya will be embarrassed by the way that ball went into the back of the net and will be embarrassed by the concession of that goal, I don't think he'll be massively beating himself up about it. And I don't think the Arsenal goalkeeping coaches will be either because they will look at that and say, well, we ask you to to hold that as your starting position. We want you to hold that as your starting position. If someone crosses the ball in from that angle 99 more times or 100 times, 99 times of the, out of the 100, I've, I've messed up, 99 times out of 100, that ball goes over the top of your crossbar goes into the far post area and all of a sudden no one's talking about your positioning. So I'm not going to defend David Raya because I think that, you know, he makes me feel nervous and uncomfortable in other ways. And we'll come on to that stuff in a bit. But I am going to say that the stuff about his positioning, I think is deliberate. I don't think it's a case of him simply being too far out of his goal. There is a reason for that. There is method behind that. And it's a big part of why he does come and get crosses with what looks like relative ease. I don't think it helps in terms of, you know, what that makes the rest of the defense feel like. Um, You know, Hacker says uh, the defense looked nervy after that. I agree with that. Uh, Sadiq says uh, it was a fluke goal. Raya caught off guard. I don't blame him too much for that you know, it does have an impact and it does have an effect, but I I don't think the goalkeeping coaches will be going into training on Monday and saying, look, David, we need to have a little chat about your starting position here because I genuinely do think that that is deliberate. And I genuinely do think it is something that gives him the ability to collect crosses in the way that we've seen him do. You know, I don't think he's been great at Arsenal, but I think one of the things that he has looked good at is coming out and collecting crosses. So, you know, We'll get into him in a little bit because I do want to talk about the Raya Ramsdale thing. Uh, I said the other day that I don't want to make this too much of a thing. And I feel like as fans, we're we're guilty of doing that. We keep bringing it up every single week. We keep fueling that narrative and we're not letting it die down because it's all we talk about. But I tweeted this yesterday, sort of after Raya conceded that goal. And that was before he'd passed the ball straight to a forward and had to recover and all the rest of it. If anybody's sitting there telling you that they feel more comfortable with um, – if anybody's sitting there telling you that they feel more comfortable with David Ryer in between the posts and Aaron Ramsdale, they're lying to you because how can you possibly? He was brought in with the idea of improving our distribution. He hasn't done that. He hasn't done that. In fact, he's had more hairy moments with regards to being closed down in the space of a handful of games than Aaron Ramsdale had all of last season. Is he a far better shot stopper? I haven't seen any evidence of that either. Does he bring calm to the defence? I haven't seen any evidence of that. And therefore, people are going to start asking the question around why Aaron Ramsdale was dropped in the first place. Now, Ramsdale, as Richie says in the chat, does have a mistake in him. We all know that. But Raya's mistakes appear to be very frequent. You know, he was bad in the Tottenham game. He was bad um, against Manchester City. He was bad again against Chelsea. You know, you've got to start asking questions and people will say, well, he's new to this. You know, he's played at Brentford and this is a step up and he's now playing, you know, games in the Champions League and all the rest of it. He was bad in Lons as well. Let's not forget that one. I just think if Mikel Arteta, who has been trying to tell us ever since the Raya news broke, that this is going to be a fair fight, that both goalkeepers are going to get the opportunity to prove their worth and prove their value, then now he has to drop David Raya and bring Aaron Ramsdale back in because David Raya is not doing what we need him to be doing. He's not performing at the level that we need him to perform at. So if it is a fair fight, which I'm not sure it is because of Inaki Kanya and his relationship with David Raya, then now's the time, I think, for Mikel Arteta to show us that. And if he does show us that, I think people will go, OK, you know, that's what you said and and that's that's what you mean. And, you know, I, I understand that when Raya got the opportunity, I always knew that he'd give him a, a few games to see how he went, because you can't really judge someone based on one or two. Or three, but when you start getting to sort of five, six, seven, eight games, you start to work out, don't you, roughly what they're all about. And I think at this moment in time, there is nothing to suggest that David Raya is at a higher level than uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Therefore, if I'm Mikel Arteta, I'm making that change ahead of the Sheffield United game. The problem is then people will go, well, Ramsdale will come in, maybe keep a clean sheet, and everyone will go, well, it was only against Sheffield United. But You know, to me, you got to be fair. And I think there is pressure on Mikel Arteta to to show everybody that this is a fair fight. From what we hear, I think he needs to show that to Aaron Ramsdale as well. But anyway, we'll come back to goalkeeping. We'll get your thoughts uh, on it as well from the live chat. Actually, before we move on, let's take some of those thoughts uh, from the live chat from uh, you guys. Uh, Richie says, uh, I think Arteta has created an issue that did not need addressing in our goalkeepers. Uh, Sadiq highlights that Raya looks nervous in big games whilst Ramsdale thrives in them. Um, Mr. Uh, Juslin says Raya will come good when we have a target man like Tony because his distribution will shine. But we're never going to be a teammate that play direct football like Brentford do. Like we're never going to be that because that goes against Mikel Arteta's philosophy. Yeah. From time to time, we go that little bit more direct and we do it a little bit more frequently and a little bit more often, but that isn't, we're never going to be Brentford, right? If Ivan Tony did sign, which I don't think he will, by the way, but if he did, it's not going to change the way Arsenal play on the whole. So what did we, are we going to sign David Raya, alienate Aaron Ramsdale? so that we can go and sign a Brentford striker and start playing like Brentford? Because that doesn't really um, sit right with me. I don't know. Uh, NF says, uh, but he hasn't cost us a game yet in the league, unlike the Ram, who cost us at least three games on the run in last season. If David Raya continues to perform like this, he will cost us more games than Aaron Ramsdale did last season. He's extremely fortunate that Arsenal found a way back into the side. Um... You know, yeah, he's extremely fortunate that, you know, we found a way back into the game. I beg your pardon, back into the side. Um, Pavel says um, Ramsdale is a leader as well. I prefer him to Raya. Uh, Robert says, I hope you're well, mate. He says, Raya doesn't make me feel any safer. I've said from the beginning, this had a subconscious effect on the whole squad because all the players face competition. But Aaron Ramsdale was trusted. Um, And he also goes on to say that the mistakes that Aaron was making were at a time of a great personal issue. Yeah, you know, I I don't know the exact timeline, but, you know, if that is the case, then you've got to take that into consideration as well. Um, Right, what else? Uh, Simon Paul says Ramsdale just hoofs it long under pressure and Arteta doesn't want to do that. David Raya does that. Like, I I don't understand this notion that David Raya plays every ball out from the back with finesse and elegance and always finds his his teammate. The amount of times that David Raya's clearances went straight back to Chelsea or out of touch um, in that first period, especially, is unbelievable. He did it a few times in the second half as well, but I can remember a couple um, in that first period. I remember one going out to Martinelli that was way over the top of Martinelli's head. I remember him coming out and clearing one with his left foot, which he completely sliced and it went out of play. I remember one on the right-hand side out to Ben White that went over the top of Ben White's head. I remember a couple of balls up towards Bukayo Saka that he had no chance of getting on the end of. So this idea that David Raya, you know, his distribution is, is really effective at the moment is wrong. He, all he does is take an extra touch, law loads of pressure, put ourselves in really dangerous situations and then fails to distribute effectively anyway. So, yeah, um, I I just, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I really don't. Um, Anyway, so Arsenal 2-0 down. Uh, Let's get back to the timeline. Arsenal 2-0 down. And as I said to you guys uh, at the beginning of the program, I was very much resigned to the fact that we were going to lose and that we were going to go home uh, with nothing. And then Robert Sanchez does a Robert Sanchez and he passes the ball straight to Declan Rice, who has spoken about the fact that he watched the Beckham documentary and that maybe that inspired him to take the shot on first time. If you watch that back from a reverse angle, from the angle, sorry, from the angle behind the goal and you watch the way the ball is curling from Declan Rice's shot, you realize that that's actually a really difficult finish because he has to, Put that curl on it. It has to go that way in terms of its trajectory to avoid Sanchez being able to get back across his goal. But the curve has to stop at a point where um, you get to the post so that the ball ends up inside it and Arsenal have the goal. And that was a catalyst for us. You know, it was a catalyst and it was great because, you know, you saw a player who had been running around in midfield pretty much by himself at that point, who had been you know, one of the few that could have his head held high, even though at times in the first half, he was quite sloppy as well, as was everybody in pos- in possession. You know, you saw him sense an opportunity, make sure he got to the ball ahead of everybody else and then had A, the presence of mind, but B, the technical skill to execute that. And all of a sudden, Arsenal are back in the game and the pendulum swings. And on 84 minutes, Arsenal substitute Leandro Trossard, who seems to be far more effective, doesn't he, from the bench, Uh, then when he starts games, pops up at the far post with a really, really good finish after Bukayo Saka's cross. That was the first real contribution that Bukayo Saka had made. He skipped away from his man a couple of times in the second half. He was better in the second 45 minutes. Maybe he was shaking off a little bit of rust in the first half. I don't know. But, you know, the finish from Trossard was great. And all of a sudden it's 2-2. And I remember sitting there at that point and going, what? How have we managed this? Like, you know, 15 minutes ago, I was sitting there resigned to the fact that we're going to lose and we're going to go home empty handed. And now with what, six minutes of normal time, plus whatever's going to be added, it turned out to be seven minutes. I think Arsenal can bloody go and win this. That goes back to what I was saying earlier on. This team have given us that belief because overall they've been really, really good and overall they've improved dramatically and they keep fighting back they keep on going they keep proving to everybody that they do have the right mentality the right steel even if at times they underperform everybody underperforms but at that point I remember thinking that yeah we can win it we can win it and then I, I kept sort of swinging from one emotion to the other where at one side I was going oh my god we can go and win this and then my mood would swing completely the other way when Chelsea would have the ball and I'd go just don't do anything stupid don't lose this It was really, really stressful, really stressful. I think if you're going to question some of Arteta's decisions before the game, which I think is fair to do, then you've got to give him praise for the changes that he made because they all had a positive impact and a positive effect. Now, you could argue that he shouldn't have made some of the errors that he did in the first place, which he then needed to correct with his substitutes bench. But it did kind of highlight the squad depth again, didn't it? You know, last season, we'd never been able to turn a game around like that from the bench, you know, Trossard, um, played a big part. I thought Kai Havertz when he came on was good. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, brought some, some energy and Arsenal were able to, to find a way back in. And yeah, we had a stroke of luck with the fact that Sanchez made the mistake that he did, but they just been a gifted a penalty and B Mikhailo Mudrik's miscued cross had ended up in the back of our net. So, you know, there wasn't that much in it between the two sides. Chelsea were more physical in the first half. They were the first to all the loose balls. They did seem to want it more. They did seem to be more up for the occasion, but as the game went on, it all evened out. And if you look at it, possession wise, Arsenal had 57% of the ball in comparison to Chelsea's 43. Arsenal had 13 attempts at goal. The Blues had 11. So, you know, it wasn't this dominant evening that Chelsea had, which is what some people have tried to package it up as. But there are serious questions to be asked of our performance. Why? Because our standards are much higher now. I mean, if we're going to do the, the key talking points, we, we've done the Raya Ramsdale thing, right? We've talked about that now. So I'm not going to do that again. You know my thoughts. You know, Raya's got to prove that he is worthy of that number one spot. And at the moment, I don't think he's doing it. So I think it would be unfair for Mikel Arteta to, um, you know, to, to not give Aaron Ramsdale the opportunity to, to fight and earn his place back. The Zinchenko thing. I really do want to talk about this because I'm starting to get irritated by Alexander Zinchenko. Has he been distracted by matters off the pitch? I think it's impossible not to, to a degree. I think if your homeland is going through what Ukraine are going through, you are going to get sidetracked. You are going to see some of your focus shift. And I'm absolutely fine with that. But his performances have dropped off and they've dropped off big time. Is it down to that? I don't know that for sure. Is it maybe unfair for me to suggest that it is? Maybe some would argue that. I just think that something's changed with Zinchenko over the past few months where I no longer feel the confidence in him that I did. And, you know, when you go back to when he first came into the team, we all knew straight away and we knew from his time at Manchester City that Alexander Zinchenko defensively was not great. We all knew that. We all understood that. We were all fully aware of that. But we were okay with having him in the side and he was a part of the best 11 because of what he would bring us in midfield. Now, is it partly down to Zinchenko's performances dropping off, but also partly down to the fact that people know he's going to do that now and have sussed it out. Is that why it's not bringing the same rewards potentially, but he was sloppy on the ball. He, um, you know, gave it away multiple times didn't have anywhere near the pace required to keep up with Raheem Sterling. I know he's a, a tricky customer, Raheem Sterling. He's a top, top player. And I know that once he gets into his stride, he's difficult to keep up with. But then be a little bit smarter in your movement. Be a little bit more conservative in, in the positions you take up. And again, people say, well, this is Arteta's instruction. Get all that. Totally, absolutely, 100% get all of that. But he just felt like a liability to me. And I think that Mikel Arteta's decision to hook him at half time the way he did, was a real sign of Arteta's frustration in Zinchenko as well. That moment that I referenced earlier on where Zinchenko played that passing field early on in the game that put us under under a lot of pressure, it was at 0 0 this. Mikel Arteta in front of me in his technical area went absolutely ballistic at him. Absolutely ballistic. And I honestly believe that Arteta made the decision to take him off then. Genuinely. You know, and, you know, it was up to Zinchenko then for the remainder of the half to prove that he deserved to stay on the pitch, and he didn't do it, and he was rightly taken off. Tommy Asu's a far better defender, no question about that. The problem with Tommy Asu is that when he goes into midfield, he looks lost there. You know, I back him in one-on-one defensive situations. Having him there means teams can't drop balls over the top of us like they can't with Ben White because... They're both built like and are by trade, you know, originally at least centre-backs. And um, and Tommy Asu gives you that little bit more solidarity. But when he tries to venture forward, when he tries to go into midfield, it just doesn't happen. For example, at home to Sheffield United next week, play Zinchenko, that's fine with me. But was it a bit arrogant from Arteta to go to Stamford Bridge thinking that he could play with a Jorginho and then Zinchenko and, and get away with it? Maybe it was. You know, you can afford for one or two players to have an off day. But when you're starting to talk about five and sixes in terms of the number of players that are performing below their usual level, you cannot, you cannot under any circumstances um, afford those guys not to pull their weight. And we're going to come on to Odegaard as well, um, because I think it's important that we discuss his performance as well. He's coming for quite a bit of uh, criticism and stick. Um, praise for Declan Rice, because not only did he score the goal that brought us back into the game with some quick thinking and a a really well executed finish, but he was just immense in terms of his work rate, in terms of putting himself about. And I thought he really kind of really grew in stature once Arsenal made that change where Jorginho went off and, and Rice was dropped back into that sort of slightly deeper position. I thought that's when he really, Came good in the game. Uh, Kai Havertz for me deserves uh, some praise with the impact that he made off of the substitutes bench. I thought he was really good when he came on. I thought he gave us something different playing in behind the forward. He gave us a target. He gave us physicality, some really tidy, neat touches, smart layoffs, carried the ball well when he needed to, played it right and left when he needed to. Um, He made a couple of good contributions in terms of knockdowns. He was penalized when he challenged for one of the balls uh, for having his arm out. But again, you need to have your arm out to jump. I just thought that when he came on, he added some real quality to the side. And although, you know, he didn't score and he didn't provide an assist and all the rest of it, you know, the only two metrics in the world, apparently, when people are judging players. I think the eye test tells us that he did well when he came on. I think anybody that says he didn't, He's lying because they just have an agenda against him, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, Martin Odegaard, what do we make of his performance? <sighs> I think the less said about it, the better. I said at the top of the show, passes that he'd normally execute with his eyes closed were just going horribly, horribly wrong. Why? Don't know. Um, been away on international duty, obviously. Um, suffered disappointment playing uh, with Norway. That shouldn't make a difference though when it comes to club level I think that Martin Odegaard is now the subject of a lot of opposition attention because of the season he had last season and that can be the same said for for Saka who is finding it harder and harder to find spaces as a result of that Martin Odegaard's performances haven't been great for a, a few weeks probably now um I've always said that he works hard and he gives you all the rest of it when he's not necessarily at his best on the ball. And I still stick by that. But to me, um, he was a bit of a passenger yesterday. And I'm actually glad that Mikel Arteta sort of had, is this the right term, the the cojones to take him off um, when he did? Because, you know, Arsenal chasing a goal, normally you'd never take Martin Odegaard off, would you? You'd never normally want to take someone like Martinelli off. Um, when you're chasing a goal. But Mikel Arteta had faith in the players that he had waiting in the wings. Havertz, Trossard, who came on for Martinelli. Of course, he took Jesus off on 68 minutes and brought Enquetia on. So, um, yeah, I, I I can't put my finger on exactly what's gone wrong with Martin Odegaard, but the passes aren't working. You know, there were a few occasions in the first half for as bad as we were, where he could have slipped people in and he just got the angle wrong on the pass or the weight wrong on the pass just doesn't look anywhere near at his best at the moment again after the international break it's really difficult to get a read on where everybody is and you're hoping that that will settle down now over the course of the coming weeks given that there isn't an international break for a little while now so yeah um well until november so <laughs> um fingers crossed you know he'll come good again i I don't really want to sit here and say he was the problem yesterday, blah blah blah, because I thought Jesus was rubbish. I thought that Saka was largely ineffective, with the exception of a couple of moments in the second half. I think that Martinelli, for all his work rate and effort, wasn't getting too much joy. Um, I thought that you know we just, as a team, just just didn't have that much about us yesterday. And if I sit here and single out individuals, it's it's kind of not really the point. Um, I think we're we're okay to have those conversations and we should highlight when key players are not performing. And again, it comes back to what we've been saying before. If Mikel Arteta really does run a ship where if you're good, you're rewarded, and if you're not, you're you're punished, which is what you need in football to to ensure that the competition levels are high and that ensures in turn that the standards are upheld, then you gotta look at some of these players. You know, Martin Odegaard the club captain. He will be in the side whenever fit and available. And there's good reason for that based on his Arsenal career in general and on the whole. But he was way off yesterday, way, way off. And I think I tweeted that yesterday or something. And I had a load of people come at me in the replies going, well, he's not the only one. Well, obviously, but he's one that I expect incredibly high standards from. And he just didn't deliver those yesterday. Right. Listen, um, we're going to take some of your questions uh, over the course of the next sort of five, seven, eight minutes. So start throwing those in the chat box. Please put a cue at the beginning of your questions so that I can identify them nice and easy. If you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the videos. No reason why we shouldn't have at least what, 100 likes at this stage. We're not a million miles off of that. In fact, looking at how many of you are watching, 150. Come on, let's go for that. Uh, also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already, particularly if you're watching us here on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, uh, well, please do leave us a review there. That really, really does help. Right. Short pause. Um, no, let me give you my player ratings. Then we'll have a short pause. Then we'll take your questions. So, my player ratings from Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2 yesterday at Stanford Bridge, David Ryer, five, five out of 10. Ben White, six out of 10. Saliba, seven out of 10. Gabriel, seven out of 10. Zinchenko, three out of 10. For me, Arsenal's worst player on the day. Jorginho, six. Don't think he did too much wrong, but he was overrun. And that's due to his lack of mobility and some of his physical attributes. For me, when that happens, you've got to look at the manager for maybe not finding the right balance in terms of his selection particularly when Thomas Partey was available. Um, Jorginho gets a six. Declan Rice gets a seven and a half for me. Um, Odegaard, four. I thought he was really poor as well. Um, Saka gets a six, but only because of the assist. Only because of the assist. If Without the assist, he might as well be a four as well because he was totally ineffective and was literally pocketed by uh, Cucurella. And then Martinelli, I'm going to give Martinelli a seven because I thought he was constantly trying and constantly trying to make things happen and trying to play on the front foot and trying to engineer opportunities himself. And he didn't really have all that much going on around him. So, um, yeah, those are my player ratings Uh, from the game yesterday. uh, Gabriel Jesus, the final one of the starting eleven, five out of ten largely, largely ineffective. Tommy Tomiyasu, when he came on, I'll give him a seven. I think we thought he done well. Havertz will get a seven as well. Smith-Rowe, six. Um, Enketia, five. Trossard, seven and a half, eight, because, of course, he got that goal and, um, and made the world of difference in the end. Sustained our unbeaten start to the season. Look, it is frustrating. Overarching feelings while you're getting your kind of questions in. It is frustrating because you go and beat Manchester City, you gain three points on them and then you surrender two of those points because you put in a horrible performance away and, you know, they obviously win and now they've clawed back two of the three points that you you sort of made up on them last week. But we are level on points at the top and I've always said this, we just need to hang in there. We need to be within touching distance of it come the last few months of the season. That's what last season taught me and then we'll see where we go from there. Um, I'm not getting carried away um, either way, so I'm not going to go overboard in terms of how good we've been looking at that points tally, and I'm certainly not going to go overboard in terms of how bad we've been. Let's see where we are further down the line, but um, you know the performances do have to improve. They do, Um, and if they don't, then I don't think we're even going to be close to it come the end of the season, which is a real shame given how far we went last time out. Right, going to take a really, really short pause and then your questions answered right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. Oh, hello, hello. Get your questions into the live chat box. We'll uh, focus on those for the last few minutes. Fala says, why do you think Arteta decided to create a division in the fan base by creating the Havertz and Partey plus Raya sagas. Uh, I don't think that Arteta's intention was to create these divides, right? Uh, You know, that's, that's for sure. That's for certain. What he wanted to do was increase the competition and increase the level of the overall squad. We kept talking about a lack of depth last season. We bemoaned the fact that we didn't have that much depth. And a lot of us looked at that as the primary reason as to why we didn't go on and win the league. So I'm not going to beat Arteta up now for, and that's not physically, like, metaphorically speaking, I'm not going to beat Mikel Arteta up now for for wanting to improve the standard of the squad. I don't think that Kai Havertz one is that, is that controversial. I think that when Thomas Partey is fit, he will play ahead of Kai Havertz in that midfield. And I still think that Kai Havertz will be better utilised by Arsenal as a forward player. So that one I don't think is too much of an issue. Got to remember, Thomas Partey's not been available. And there will be games where you'll want to have more front-footed players and you'll want to have more attack-minded players on the pitch. Plus, factor into that the fact that Thomas Partey's body needs taken care of and his minutes need to be managed that little bit more because of the injury problems that he keeps suffering. And all of a sudden, that one makes sense. The Ryan Ramsdale one is, is more of a uh, a talking point, more of a debate, more of a discussion. And I actually think David Ryer is letting Mikel Arteta down at this moment in time because for Arteta to, to bring him in, despite having so much faith in Aaron Ramsdale, or at least seemingly having faith in Aaron Ramsdale, requires... Arteta to put a lot of trust in this Spanish goalkeeper and a lot of trust, not just in the goalkeeper himself, but in Inaki Kanya, the coach as well, who would have been steering this from behind the scenes. Yet David Raya hasn't repaid that faith yet, shown by Mikel Arteta and Inaki Kanya, because his performances have been poor, generally speaking. And so that one, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. And I think it could be a problem. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was any intention from Mikel Arteta to try and, um, you know, to try and cause divide or anything like that. Um, let's take a few more of your questions. Pavel says, uh, we don't score any goals on the counter. Why do you think that is? Partly because teams park the bus against us. Um, you know, the 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 bigger our reputation got as a team, the more people started to rate us and the more people started to talk about us, the more we were going to have to face the low blocks week in, week out and all the rest of it. This is part and parcel of being a top team and you've got to find alternative solutions. But I'd put it down to that. The fact that teams very rarely come on to us now with any numbers and therefore when we do win the ball back, we're not really in a position to go and um and, you know create opportunities through counterattacks that are worthy of of, of scoring goals. Um Rob says, how can the PGMOL make an apology for the Onana takeout at the beginning of the season and then not give us a penalty? What's the point of acknowledging mistakes with an apology if it's not learned from? It's just BS. I completely agree with you. Completely agree. That was more of a, a statement than a question. Um, But yeah, I don't know um, how they can do that. I, I agree with you. I think that they've, shown inconsistency again. And that's the big problem. If Howard Webb comes out and says that should have been a penalty, then what are we going to say? At least he was consistent in apologising, but it doesn't change the fact that the same error has occurred um, just a matter of weeks down the line. Uh, Stephen Thompson says, when do you think Rice will get the armband? Well, I'm sure the fans would love to see him um, wearing the armband, but to take it off Martin Odegaard would be a big decision for Mikel Arteta to make and I don't think it's one he will make so I'm not expecting Declan Rice to become the Arsenal captain not while Martin Odegaard's at the club anyway. Um what else have we got uh, just trying to pick out um some of your questions from the chat at hackers asking about Ben White's hair. Yeah, it's not not great is it? Not a good look. Um Richie says, would you take second um, and have an invincible season along with a cup or just win the Premier League or rather just win the Premier League, to be honest with you? What's the point in going invincible if you don't win the league? Um, you know, had Arsenal's invincibles in 0304, not won the Premier League at the end of it, nobody would really talk about it. Yeah, it'd be down on paper as one of the records, but y- you have to crown that kind of thing off, don't you? With silverware. Um Right, right, I'm going to take one more, I think, before I uh, I head off. I've been up since four o'clock this morning. Um, went down to TalkSport to do the morning paper review. Um, got back quite late last night from Stamford Bridge. So I am absolutely shattered. I'm running on empty. And I'm actually looking forward to just putting my feet up this afternoon, watching some football. Uh, I'm going to watch the, the, the West Ham or the Villa West Ham game. Um, I'm also going to watch uh, the big game from Serie A tonight as well, which should be a good one. Um, So, yeah, looking forward to um, that chill time. It's very much needed. And then off to Seville tomorrow. Um, Izualo says, why is Arteta so stubborn in not allowing players who lose form to sit and letting others have the opportunity to shine? Why is Odegaard missing from big games? If I knew the answer to that, why is Odegaard missing from big games? You know, that that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? I, I don't know what it is. You know, he, he's someone that isn't very effective when we don't have enough of the ball. And although we had a fair bit of possession yesterday, when I look at the statistics, um, they will tell me that we had 57% of the ball. I think a lot of that came in defensive areas in the sort of middle third of the pitch. Um where our centre-backs had pushed up, but we weren't very good at progressing it beyond that and getting into those um, sort of attacking areas. So, you know, I, I just think that when Martin Odegaard doesn't get enough of the ball, then he is going to be limited in how he impacts the game. And then you factor in the fact that when he did get the ball, he didn't do very much with it and he looked sloppy and he looked like he was struggling to keep it under control and all the rest of it. Then there is why he didn't perform yesterday. But... People are concerned that this is a, a wider, long-going or ongoing issue. I'm not like I haven't looked at his performances this season and gone. He's been absolutely shit. Like I think he's had his moments as Martin Odegaard always will, and I think there have been moments where he's been less effective. But I'm not like massively, majorly concerned about this at this stage. Call me naive, but that's just how I feel at the moment. Um, if it continues, then yeah, I'll be probably looking at it uh, in a bit more. Detail and and trying to, you know, figure out what I think is is wrong. Not that it makes a difference to Mikel, but you get the drift. Um, I think Mikel Arteta's got his favourites. I think every manager does, right? Every manager has their untouchables and your captain is normally one of those people. Martin Odegaard is his captain. So I'm not going to turn up at, you know, at Seville or in Seville on Tuesday and expect him to be dropped from the team. I just don't think that's going to happen uh what else have we got a big hello to gwen who joins us It's glad to catch a, a live show it's after 5 a.m interesting show i decided to do it that little bit later today because i thought our u.s listeners would be able to tune in if i did it at midday uk time rather than sort of 10 a.m um which is what i originally had in mind um hopefully that's worked for you guys uh, thank you Iswalo for your uh kind comments as well Yeah, I think I'm going to leave it there, guys. Um, I will catch you all very, very soon with more. Until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. Not the best performance. In fact, probably our worst over the past couple of seasons. But the Gunners remain unbeaten. Their unbeaten start to the Premier League season continues. And they remain level on points with Manchester City. So it's not all doom and gloom. Plenty to unpack from yesterday, as we said. Plenty for Mikel Arteta to think about ahead of the trip to Spain on Tuesday night, but, you know, a point, it is a point, and it's a point that felt like more, I have to say, under the circumstances. Thank you for joining me, I'll see you all soon, until the next time, goodbye.